Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. This is God's word for us today, friends. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Will you pray with me? Lord, again, I know that you know we have deep need here. I pray, God, I pray that you will speak to us and feed us in your word, convicting us, challenging us, growing us, and making us love the gospel more. That's our prayer in Christ's holy name. Amen. You can be seated. In Ephesians 4, Paul has told us to put off our old sinful habits and mindsets and put on Christ-like behavior. And he uses very similar language in Colossians 3, by the way. You can see the put off and put on there as well. And the picture is a simple one. I've explained it before, but I think it's worth revisiting because I really want you to feel it when you think about your behaviors. So imagine, imagine you get your clothes really nasty, doing some sort of rotten job. You ever have a rotten job you had to do that got you dirty? Okay. Maybe, maybe it's crawling in the dirt and doing something. Maybe, oh, fixing a sewer drain. All right, you with me? I don't know how, how far down this road you want to go before you stop thinking about it, but it's nasty, y'all. Your clothes are nasty. You get nasty. Y'all, what is going to feel better then when you get home, get out of those nasty clothes and have a nice hot shower. Yes? With me? We like this. Being clean feels good. And if you don't think that, we need to talk about something else, hygiene at the least. (laughs) But once you're clean, once you're clean, the last thing in the world you would want to do is put on your dirty clothes again. (laughs) Right? Didn't give you the willies? You want clean clothes for a clean body. Well, last week we saw from the Word of God three things that we need to take off, three dirty garments that we need to get rid of and cast aside and replace with clean things. We are to not lie, but tell the truth. We are to not give in to sinful anger, but be committed to resolve conflicts quickly. We are to not steal but work hard so we can give to others. Take off your sin, put on Christ-honoring righteous behavior. Because for a Christian to continue to live in those sinful behaviors, it's like putting on your dirty clothes after you took a shower. It's just wrong. With me? Well, this morning we're going to find three more points at the end of Ephesians chapter 4, three more categories where we put something off and we put something on, put off sin, put on righteousness. But before we go there, I want to remind you again this. None of what I'm going to tell you in the put off and put on is how 
you are forgiven. You understand me? None of us can earn our way to God by putting off sin and putting on righteousness. For three chapters before this one, context, right? Three chapters before this one, God has reminded us that we have been forgiven by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And it is the perfect work of Jesus that makes us clean, not our goodness. Amen? It is the perfect sacrifice of Jesus that covers over our sin. It is the perfect righteousness of Jesus that clothes us in garments that make us acceptable before God. That's good news. Now, if you don't have Jesus Christ's grace in your life today, listen to me. Before we even get started with the passage, you need to believe this. Believe that you need God's forgiveness. Believe that Jesus is your only hope because of his life, death, and resurrection. Entrust your soul to Jesus. Turn away from controlling your life. Surrender to Jesus and ask him for grace in faith. And he will save your very soul. Now, our section for today, it's not about how you are forgiven by God. Our section for today is about how we live so that we can honor God once we have already been forgiven. It's, as chapter 4 verse 1 says of Ephesians, this is how you walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So let's get started. Let's see more dirty clothes to take off and more right things to replace them with. So point number one, if you're ready to write points down, replace rotten talk with encouraging words. Replace rotten talk with encouraging words. I'm having a moment where I realize every time I say something bad, I point at this side of the room, and I say something good, I point at that side. So thank you, Kay. I just want to ask, who, who wants to argue with Kay? Anybody? No. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 29 through 30 say, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How powerful are words? You know, some people are more affected by words than others. The truth is, we should all recognize that our words have the power to do great good or to bring great harm. And throughout the scriptures, we find a great amount of focus on our words. The Bible never pretends, never pretends that your words don't matter. The Bible never acts as though the tone of your words is irrelevant. We can be wicked and cruel with our words, or we can speak words of life and kindness. Listen to some verses here. Proverbs 12, 18. You can write the reference down if you want. Proverbs 12, 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Did you hear that? You can stab. You can harm people with your words. You can bring healing and soothing with your words. 
We see the same concept in Proverbs 15, verse 4, which reads, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Jesus makes it clear that your words matter. In Matthew 12, 36 and 37, Jesus says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Some of you guys are like, all right, stop preaching now. <laughs> Listen to Matthew 15, 11. Jesus says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. What does the Lord want from your speech? The Lord wants you to speak truth. We saw that. He wants you to speak the truth in love. Amen? God tells us to speak graciously, even courteously. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Titus 3, 1 and 2, listen to this. Paul says, remind them to be submissive uh, to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. But if I was going to say to y'all, let's read some stuff about our mouths, what book would you tell me to turn to? Yeah, James chapter 3, listen to verses 2 through 10. For we all stumble in many ways, amen. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Christian, listen to me carefully. Your mouth can do great good. Yes. Your mouth can do great damage. Yes. 
Your mouth can mark you as a true follower of Jesus, and your mouth can bring that into question. In our passage for today, Paul said, we're not to let any corrupting talk come out of our mouths. The word for corrupting is a word that's used in the New Testament of rotten things. A rotten tree. Dead fish are described by this word. And so Paul is saying to you and me that rotten speech must not pass our lips. Now, what does that mean? For sure, rotten speech is sinful speech. Speaking lies. Speaking evil is sinful, rotten speech. Gossiping and slandering others is rotten speech. In the next chapter, we're going to see that sexually crude, inappropriate language is rotten speech. Foul speech, crude, nasty, rude speech is not to be flowing from the mouths of believers. So, okay, does this mean you shouldn't swear, you shouldn't cuss? Yeah, I think it does. Some people will argue the words that our society considers to be inappropriate, the words that are swear words are cultural constructs and what's polite and impolite changes from time to time and place to place, and I actually agree with that. But the truth is, in almost every case, Christian, a Christian who wants to use foul language, a Christian who wants the right to just cuss when they want to, is a Christian who is exposing to us a heart that wants to be rebellious without a righteous reason. Yes, I know. Paul used a really ugly word when he called his past a accomplishments rubbish in Philippians 3. It's not a clean word. I know that in the book of Ezekiel, when Ezekiel talks about the idols, he uses a really crude word of, to call pagan idols something, and it's not a word that you would say in polite company. And it is likely that those men, Paul, Ezekiel, under the inspiration of God, they had really good reason for the language they used. There's no doubt about that. But first of all, you're not Paul and you're not Ezekiel. And the use of language that those men used in those rare cases does not excuse you from being willing to be crude or nasty to others. So, even if you think, Travis, I don't buy that argument. I just want to be able to say what I want to say. Okay, fine. I get to be the elder. Jason Lekowitz is over there. He's an elder. Harold Wright's an elder. They will agree with me. Just don't do it. In general, take the cussing out of your life. Fair enough? Husbands, never swear at your wives. Wives, never swear at your husbands. Do not call each other names. Do not use language you know is nasty, socially nasty, crude, impolite. Treat each other with respect, and that will include you choosing not to let rottenness flow out of your mouth. Now, sometimes the words we speak are not, in and of themselves, nasty words. You can break the heart and break the spirit of a person without ever using a word that's on the TV broadcast list of words that have to be bleeped. You can be hateful, you can be selfish, you can be cruel without ever saying a word that would have gotten you in trouble as a kid. 
And that kind of soul-crushing, cruel, mean-spirited, nasty speech is also rotten speech. So what should we do instead? Paul says we are to put off rotten, corrupting talk and speak instead that which builds others up. Use your mouth to help people grow, not to try to hurt people just for the sake of hurting them. Does this mean that we never offer criticism? No. Nor does it mean we never correct. But it does mean that our focus and our heart needs to be to make the other person better before the Lord. We don't use our words just to smash other people so we can win a fight. We use our words to strengthen others for the honor of God. We want to speak in a way that fits the occasion, the situation that we're in. We want to give grace to the person who hears us. We want to not grieve the Spirit of God. We don't want to dishonor the Lord because we're letting rotten, nasty, ugly, crude, soul-crushing words fly out of our lips. And notice here, Paul takes your mind back to the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, right? Back in chapter 1, Paul, in discussing our salvation, talked about God sealing us with his Spirit. God gives the Spirit of God into the life of the believer to mark the person who belongs to him. And here Paul is telling you, you should speak in accord with the seal that's on your life. Speak in a way that honors the Spirit of God living within you. Speak in a way so that people who hear you speak would say, that is a child of the Lord. In the put off and put on idea, filthy words are like filthy clothes. If you have been saved by Jesus, your speech needs to change. Put off foul speech, put off yelling at others, put off swearing at others, put off cutting, biting, ugly remarks, and put on intentional edification. Put on words that build up others. Put on words that fit the working of the Spirit of God in their life and in your life. Love Jesus more and let it come out in the way that you speak to other people. So Christian, before you speak, ask some questions. Am I speaking to help the other person or to make myself feel good? Will my words do harm without bringing help to this person? Is my choice of words unnecessarily harsh, unnecessarily crude, unnecessarily worldly? Do my words sound like they match the heart of God or would God's spirit be grieved at my behavior? Put off rotten speech. Put on encouragement. Now, do realize, who are we talking to? This is about inside the body of Christ, isn't it? This is about the church. There are going to be times that we need to call out the sin of the world around us. And we may, in fact, use stronger language to do so. Now, I'm not saying that you go out and cuss the world. But there are going to be times that the criticism we give is kind of pointed. There are things in our world that need some pointed criticism, yes? 
And from time to time in Scripture, we saw prophets of God. We saw the Apostle Paul. We even see Jesus say some significant things against the ungodly using pretty biting remarks to make that significant point. And so I'm obviously not trying to condemn that, but what we need to be sure of is that the motivation behind our words, even in those kinds of settings, is the glory of Christ and not just a mean-spirited desire to make somebody else look bad and ourselves feel good. And guys, again, this is the great kind of thing where we could argue about this all the time, but at the end of the day, I think you pretty much know when you're doing it, don't you? Now, let's also not be without the gospel here. Christian, understand how much have you failed in this category? Anybody here want to say you've never failed in this section of letting rotten speech come out your mouth? How much have you in your lifetime hurt other people with your words? How rotten has your speech been? Understand, rotten speech is a sin against the Lord. Rotten speech would earn us the judgment of God. Thanks be to God for the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth and died as a perfect sacrifice to pay for our sinful mouths. You ever think about Isaiah? Standing before God, the first thing he says is, I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. Let that give your heart joy that Jesus came to die for your words. Let it cause you to cry thanksgiving to the Lord and let it motivate you to want to change your speech so that you honor the Lord who died for your evil words. May the grace of Jesus lead us to pray like David in Psalm 19, 14. May let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now again, am I saying that if a Christian ever has a word come out of their mouth that someone in society doesn't like that that Christian is wrong? No. But you know when you're choosing to be crude. And as Christians, we need to sound different than the world. Is that fair? Second point, put off hateful hearts. Put off hateful hearts. Look at verse 31. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. This is really one call in this verse to put things off, but, in, but unlike the prior verses, this one get, comes to us in a list. If you look at Paul's writings, if you look at the writings of other people in New Testament era, you'll find that people love to write in what we call vice lists. These are lists of inappropriate behavior. Don't do this, 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 and this. Let's take a look at this list here. And then maybe we can see if we can summarize it. There's an attitude that's behind it all. So the first word to put off is bitterness. I think you know without a great deal of study what it means to be a bitter person, don't you? It has to do with having a heart or an attitude that is sour, even poisonous. 
man, can I tell you about some bitter people I've known? <laughs> Again, the, the, old, the old Southern joke is you have the person, that they just the look on their face, they say they look like they've been baptized in pickle juice. <laughs> you know anybody that when you see them, they just look sour all the time? Is it you? Sometimes... We can see the word bitterness used in close connection to how we speak, by the way. Romans chapter 3, verse 14, Paul, in describing the, our wickedness of the world, he says their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. So I kind of wonder if one led to the other here, right? Putting off rotten speech leads to, oh yeah, and put off bitterness too. But the idea here of bitterness is deeper than just your words that are bitter. It has to do with, with your heart and with your relationships. Listen you might want to turn here to Hebrews 12, <clears throat> 14 through 16. Only do it if you're fast. Hebrews 12, 14 through 16 is what we're going to read here. I say that and I hear y'all start turning pages because y'all think you're fast. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone. That sounds good, doesn't it? And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord... See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. So we're to watch our hearts and not allow them to be poisoned by bitterness. Because bitterness as it grows, leads your heart into defiling sinfulness. Do you see that progression in that weird passage? Didn't that sound a little funny at the end? The more bitterness that you allow to grow in your heart, the more likely you are to embrace other, more obviously destructive sins. You guys think that makes sense? Does that sound weird to you? Have you ever let yourself get rolled up in, your, in yourself and in your feels and in your bitterness and then you don't care what you do anymore? I don't really care. I'm just going to do it. Isn't that normal? Bitterness breeds bigger sins. But bitterness is poison. Back to Ephesians. The next pair of words really goes together. Wrath and anger. They're both very similar words. They're both hot emotions. Wrath the Greek word thumos carries with it the idea of a hot outburst or flash, explosion of anger. We've all seen that in ourselves or maybe in others, right? That moment when emotion explodes and harsh words fly. How many of you are more the explodey anger people? A couple of you are. And I know because I've already heard about it. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. This is not an acceptable personality trait, y'all. It's a sinful heart pattern that we have to battle to put off. But the other word in this passage, anger, orge, is a word for a building, bolding, smoldering emotion. How many of you think you're that? How many of you are the slow bubblers? <laughs> you know what it's like, don't you? Have something st- 
stick in your craw and it hangs with you and you stew over it and you let the anger build and build and build and build and build and build. Now listen, while we all get angry from time to time, we are not to cling to our anger. We are to do what we can not to let our anger grow, especially inside the body of Christ. This fits that call that we saw already. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let the devil gain an opportunity or an advantage against you. Verses 26 and 27, we talked about that last week. You are to take action not to let anger boil in yourself. Because that also is not an acceptable personality trait. I'm just an angry person. That's just what I am. That's not okay. I mean, what other sin would you let someone say, yeah, I'm just a thieving person. That's just what I do. I just steal stuff. Can I come to your house? (laughs) You wouldn't do that, right? Then why do we do it with our anger? Well, that's just my personality. It's not okay. How do we do it? How do we not let our anger boil? We should quickly, when hurt or offended by others, recognize that you and I are not better than the people who offended us. Travis, how can that be true? We all have sinned before God. We are all guilty of an offense greater than anything our minds could ever imagine. How big is the gap between you and God's goodness? It's forever. So if you have sinned against an infinitely holy God, as we all have, you have sinned more greatly than it is possible for another human being to sin against you. Because you are not infinitely better than any human being. Therefore, your sin against God is bigger than any sin any person could ever commit against you. Does that mean their sins don't matter? No, it doesn't mean that. There are big sins that deserve justice and righteous anger, no doubt about it. But once we've grasped that we're fellow sinners along with the people who have hurt us, we can move toward reconciliation when the reconciliation is possible, especially inside the body of Christ. Now, we may not be able to fully resolve every conflict. It may not all depend on you. You may not be able to finish the transaction of forgiveness, but we can resolve in the church to do everything we can to make things right for the glory of God. So with the pair of words here, with, with anger and wrath, right? we are to put off the bubbling, stewing, building anger, and we are to put off the flashing, violent, exploding kind of anger. We are to strive to put angry attitudes and bitter hearts out of our lives. Is this saying that all anger is evil? No, not at all. We talked about that last week. But it is to say this, if you are marked... As an angry person, you probably have a problem, and that problem is a sin problem, not a personality trait. Now, look at clamor and slander. They're like anger and wrath. They're they're a pair that go together really well. They both have verbal components, right? The word for clamor is a word for an outcry. It's a shouting, yelling, screaming sort of behavior, There is no call for that kind of voice among believers. Next is slander. 
Now, here's the interesting thing. The Greek word behind the word for slander is the same word for blasphemy. Blasphemy is to speak an evil untruth about God. Slander is to speak things that are harmful and untrue about other people. Isn't it true, though, that when we're offended by others, you ever notice that we manage to speak of the person who offended us in a way that paints them in the worst possible light and ourselves as the innocent victims? We are given to wanting to justify ourselves and allow no wiggle room for other people. So we slander. We fail to see the hearts of others. We assume the worst of others. And I think you can see that clamor and slander, they do go together. We get bitter. We let our anger build. We flash in an outburst. We start screaming. We start screeching. We start saying harsh words. And when we say those things, we seldom are even a little bit worried about whether or not the things we say are true. Now, let me point this out to you. In our society, clamor and slander don't have to be limited to -to face-to-face confrontation. In our world today, you can clamor against another person online quite well, and you can slander a person quite easily through a nasty post. And you must see, dear Christian, neither of those look like Jesus. You'll notice in the New Testament, Jesus never lied about somebody. Jesus never did a tricky misrepresentation of the argument of the Pharisees. Jesus never just shouted people down and called them names to win a fight. Again, this is important. Jesus never misrepresented what somebody was trying to say or do. He told the truth. And we should never, ever misrepresent somebody either. Final word in the list is the word malice. And the word for malice is a word that has to do with an eagerness to do harm. In general, the word means moral evil, wickedness. And the pattern here is that as you let anger boil beneath the surface, it eventually erupts as you do or say something where you want to harm that other person. So your anger leads you into moral evil and you spew out venom because you want to sting people. You want to hurt people. You want to poison other people. And it shows when you shout and when you lie about other people. And so it fits that malice comes here at the end because it's sort of a summary of everything that's been said here, right? And remember this, we are supposed to be walking worthy of the calling to which we're called. We are supposed to be bringing about unity in the body of Christ. We are to be putting off evil behavior. We are to be putting off bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander because it's all wickedness that we need to get out of our hearts so that we don't let it flow out of our mouths. How do we do it? Well, again, what part of you does it have more to do with? Does it have most to do with your mouth or something deeper? It has to do with your heart, doesn't it? Listen to Matthew 15, 11, and then 17 to 20. Matthew 15, 11 says, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. That's a good verse, guys, right? That's the verse that's often used. Matthew and Mark say have parallels where we realize that Jesus has declared foods to be clean. 
Don't let yourself be caught up in Old Testament dietary laws as if for somehow pepperoni makes you less righteous before the Lord. You laugh, I know these people. (laughs) Verse 17 then says, Do you not see then, Jesus is explaining, what goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The issue I'm talking about when I just harangue you about all this anger and rotten speech, folks, it's a heart person. It's a heart issue. If you're a bitter person, you've got a sinful heart problem. If you're an angry person, either the slow boil or the explosion, you have a sinful heart problem. If you shout and slander and want to hurt other people, you have a sinful heart problem. And what is the answer biblically to a heart problem? It's going to be to set your heart on something new, something better. So Christian, I'm going to tell you something and it's going to sound super simple to you. So simple that you're going to be tempted to shrug it off. Please don't. Listen to me. If your heart has a problem, loving Jesus is the first greatest Solution. What is it going to take for you to love Jesus more? That's the issue. You say, but pastor, that's so simple. Great, start doing it. Right? That's the solution to these heart issues. Love Jesus. Do you think, honestly, you can be loving Jesus while you're lying about somebody? Do you think, honestly, that you can be loving Jesus deeply when you try to crush a person's reputation without cause? No. Love Jesus more, and your heart problems change. Christians, put off sinful, hateful hearts, repent, recognize the sin that's in you, reject that sin, help, 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 ask God to help you not love your wickedness, replace your sin with a love for Christ and God's glory, seek your, your ability to love Jesus. How do you love Jesus more? Open the word of God and look at Jesus. Find it in the songs of the saints. Find it in the fellowship of the body. Find it in the sweet ceremonies like Lord's Supper. Find it in prayer. Find it in all sorts of the spiritual disciplines that help you grow in your love of the Lord and His grace. But what do we put on in place of our hateful hearts? Here's our third point, our last point for the morning. Put on kindness. Look at verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So you don't defeat angry, hateful hearts by thinking to yourself over and over, don't be hateful, don't be hateful, don't be hateful, don't be hateful. That just focuses you on being what? Hateful. We defeat hatefulness when we focus on Christ. And we defeat angry, hateful hearts when we intentionally work to live and love like Jesus because we love Jesus. So Paul here gives us three things that he wants you to put on in place of the ugly things from verse 31. This morning, I just want you to know we're going to get to two of them. We're going to leave the third one for next week, okay? So if you're new here, you have to come back or you don't hear the end. Sorry, I... I I wish I could help you more. I, there's nothing I can do. It's, it's out of my hands. It's out of my hands. So the first two things, kindness and tenderheartedness. The word for kind, it's a very simple word. It means goodness, gentleness. It's the word that Jesus uses to describe. Remember when Jesus said, uh, let those who are weary and burdened come to me, for my yoke is easy. Same word as kindness here. Jesus describes God himself as kind in Luke 6.35. Peter says we have tasted the kindness of God in 1 Peter 2.3. To be kind to one another is to be good to one another. It is to be gentle with each other, as gentle as the circumstances will allow you to be. It is to be loving. It is, it is to be proper. It is to treat others in the opposite way, as we saw verse 31. Kindness rules out screaming at other people, right? Kindness rules out hateful speech. Kindness rules out slander. Tenderhearted is what it sounds like. It, it has to do with compassion. It has to do with feeling for other people. If I'm tenderhearted towards you, I feel emotion for you. I want your good. I care and we put off the ugly and dirty clothes of hateful hearts in verse 31 and in their place because of Jesus to honor Jesus we are to put on attributes that look like Jesus Jesus is kind Do you ever stop and think about how nice kind gracious loving Jesus has been to you How gentle has Jesus been with you what if Jesus had not chosen to be gentle to you? How loving has Jesus been to you? You, Christian, one who, got, who Jesus looked through eternity and said, that one I'm going to make mine. I want that one. Is that not loving and kind? How gracious is Jesus? How much goodness has Jesus given you that you don't deserve? Find a way to remember that. And then what I want you to do when you remember it is I want you to bottle it and just start passing it out to others. How compassionate has Jesus been toward you? You know, Christians who have hearts, that the heart of the Savior has been for you, right? He has shown you love. He has shown you deep compassion. He has let his heart be tender and affectionate toward you. And if Jesus has shown you that kind of tenderness, can you not desire to show similar tenderness toward others, especially others in the church? 
Examine yourselves, Christians. Love Jesus. Take off rotten speech. Take off hateful hearts. Put on, put on words that build others up. Put on kindness. Put on compassion. Love other people the way Jesus loves. Now, the last idea is that of forgiveness. Like I said, I'd love to explain all that to you, but that's next week. But if you're a Christian, you know what it means to be forgiven, right? You know it's like to have Jesus forgive you? Are you glad Jesus forgave you? Shouldn't that make you want to be kind and gracious toward other people? Now listen, if you don't know Jesus, this whole passage ought to be convicting. This passage should convict you because, look, you ever spoken rotten stuff? Only two of you? I I know you all better than that. You ever speak rotten words? Oh, yeah. We've all had ugly hearts, haven't we? You ever have an ugly heart one day? You ever just get up feeling rotten? Right? What's the guy say? Some days I wake up cranky. Other days I let her sleep. (laughs) Oh, look at you. I just felt the need to break the tension. I'm sorry. It's not true. Come on. You ever have a hateful heart? You have, haven't you? You ever nasty, just attitude, bitterness? Yeah. Guys, this should remind you we need the forgiveness of God. Because that heart attitude of mean-spirited bitterness It's a sin against God, and it merits hell. And so, if you don't know Jesus, you need God's forgiveness, or you will be lost forever, and you will face his fury for your sin. I urge you, turn away from sinful self-sufficiency. Turn to Jesus. Ask him for grace. Believe in him as your only hope and you will be saved. And if you want to know what that means or you want to talk to somebody about it, please come talk to me later. And then you who know Jesus can work with Jesus to put off the evils of your sinful lives and be clothed in the perfect, beautiful, clean clothes and righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, you know we need help because this is stuff we mess up a lot. Anger and bitterness can become so easily entrenched in our lives. Rotten speech can become such a part of just how we talk and how we think. And if you don't change us and sanctify us, Lord, we're not going to get it right. I pray, I pray, God, that you would choose to work in us that we might be more like Jesus, more loving, more compassionate, more kind, 
less angry, less foul, less hurtful to others. Help us put off sin and put on the righteousness of Christ. Lord, for all who don't know you, I pray that you will draw them to yourself. That they might know you, be forgiven, and begin the process of living to your glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.